forget your first. Uh, we just want to say hoping everyone's okay, that everyone's doing fine and spending lots of time indoors, watching lots of movies. Uh, we also want to give a big thanks to everyone working in the NHS and service industries, but basically anyone who's on the front line fighting this thing. We uh, kind of hope today's episode is going to be fun and a little bit of a different movie. Uh, and we're not doing a podcast in the same room, are we? We're all in different places. Yeah, but the room... Someone behind you, what are you on about? <laughs> emotionally and physically um so we're uh we wouldn't won't let whole situation stop us from doing a podcast so we've decided to do uh, our first remote podcast which has proven to be a technical nightmare but seems to be working pretty well we should also mention as events are moving so quickly that we're recording this on saturday the 21st of march so i'm sure the situation will change again when this episode goes live which will be a few weeks after we've recorded so we have me uh i'm on this this <laughs> end of the mic we have benas yeah on this end yeah sparrow good morning wearing his cool center <laughs> microphone <laughs> he may get some calls <laughs> and then louis Yo. who's all the way up in scotland in scotland Are you? how is it up there I um, tell. well i literally haven't been outside yet because i got here really late last night um and slept until about half an hour ago and uh, here I am. So nice. it looks lovely through the window. You're avoiding the lockdown. Um, I figured I'd rather isolate somewhere where, you know, I can be free. There's no isolation. Yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs> uh, rather than cooped up in my little flat. This is going to be an interesting episode doing it like this. I feel, I feel like we've overcome the biggest technical hurdles thus far. Although I don't know if anyone's going to drop out at any point. Or Sparrow's going to get a few calls with some <laughs> yeah, exactly, people wanting yeah. to change their phone contract. <laughs> um but everyone's looking everyone's looking pretty good how's everyone finding the whole situation at hand um it's pretty usual to, for me I, I generally don't go out anyway so i've never been outside more in my life <laughs> um that was happening at the moment is is terrible but I've got to make the most of it um um, Got to make the most of it, exactly. It's been a weird week, right? Because um, I don't know about you guys, but for me, work working at home started on Monday, um, and like, and it never ends. And it never ends. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We now live like the first scene in Wally, <laughs> where we're all in our own little pods, <laughs> never, never touching each other or looking at each other. But um, I don't know. It's actually been a. Um, it's it was a bit of a whirlwind, but it kind of worked. Do you know what I mean? Like, I work better than I thought it would. I guess when everybody has to do it, there's more of a kind of everyone tries harder. I feel like I'm quite unclear about what's going on because I, I, every time I, I pop out to get food or something, there's like loads of people walking around. Oh, yeah. 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 It's going to continue like, 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 like You're like, you're like Sean and Sean of the Dead in the first few yeah. scenes. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't know that something's happening. There's, you Pretty get much. these cl- classic, like, like you know, like last night, Boris was like, um, you know, please don't, we're closing pubs, please don't go out to pubs. So what happened as a consequence is every pub was rammed. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, I love like, he, felt, he felt like he had to say, um, so yeah, yeah, I, know, I, know, I, know, I know we're saying that pubs will be closed from tomorrow, so please don't go out tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but what he meant like, was, get... everyone must go out tonight, obviously. <laughs> Ridiculous. Everyone getting the one last drink in. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the one last drink before quarantine. I saw someone post today on Instagram, like one last drink before quarantine. I was like, quarantine's been around for ages. <laughs> yeah. What are like, you on about? What? Two weeks. <laughs> what is this one last it's drink? A, it's like someone saying, like, oh, I guess I have to start washing my hands now. And you're like, what? Hang on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, some people have said that. I've been like, people don't wash their hands. <laughs> what like, were you doing before? <laughs> If the best thing that could come out of this is everyone's personal hygiene improves. <laughs> yeah. I'm down for that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's all a bit nuts, but we're gonna we're gonna press on as normal. Got quite a fun film today just to to uh to move away from the general news that I feel like my phone goes off every two minutes with some sort of like thing happening. But the effect that this has all had on 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 cinema, seeing as we're a film podcast, yeah. They've obviously cinemas have shut down, right? Mm. I saw Edgar Wright wrote a thing in Empire about kind of saving cinema where he was saying people, you know, buying memberships to your favorite cinemas and kind of trying to support places like Curzon through their home cinema um sort of experience for this time so that people don't have to make layoffs but i think cineworld has already started making some layoffs it's yeah. really it must be really hard because they're just not making any money right yeah obviously there are lots of industries that are hit by this because anyone that anywhere where people have to congregate then then they're gonna have to suffer but i guess for cinemas that that 
that is happening at the same time when just generally there is also this kind of trend happening of people just not not going to the cinema as much and people kind of streaming stuff from home mm. and the Did fact see, that like, uh, it just catalyzes the stuff that was already happening probably makes it doubly difficult for them universal mm. and a few other studios have started like streaming their latest films so like invisible yeah, man i saw that I saw that last yeah i saw that yeah, yeah. And they the hunt. twenty bucks for for a stream. So it's like a cinema release, but yeah. online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they've also they've also released it on um on Sky as well, so you can twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah. To to carry on with the tradition of mentioning Netflix every episode, <laughs> they, they've uh, they've they've released um some news saying that they've lowered the streaming quality of Europe, yeah. so that uh the amount of people that are are going to watch it is going to skyrocket. So I think it's to to protect them from being able to actually stream it to everyone or something. Yeah, yeah really yeah. good idea. But why would you report that? Why would you report it? Like, just don't yeah, tell exactly. anyone. <laughs> People will notice the quality going yeah. down, maybe. So Yeah, but it's also a kind of brand behavior thing, isn't it? It's like, actually, what can they do that would actually help well, help the world at a time? When well, to be it? fair, they put together um, a fund of 100 million for their core employees. So like crew uh, to be paid. Because they're not shooting and stuff. It's all going to Adam Sandler. Yeah, exactly. You can just pay everyone out of his own pocket, really. He'll, 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 he'll gamble it. Yeah. Get the water. It's the best water. It's the best water in town. Get your water. With it's like a knife fight and a phone box. It. That's crazy, though. Yeah, I, I've seen lots of businesses are, yeah. are doing stuff. Yeah. Brewdog are making hand sanitizer, aren't they? In their in their Scottish yeah. Yeah, yeah. factory or whatever. There are some really good. Um, there are some really good things happening. I guess like there's some heartening stuff. Like I saw that Pret was um was giving free coffee or something to free hot drinks and 50% off all food to NHS workers. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, um, Contagion is the second most streamed film this year. What's the first one? I'm not sure what the first one is, but I do know that Ford versus Ferrari is quite high up there. And it's funny because they both have <laughs> Matt Damon in. <laughs> Matt Damon. Matt just, just like rolling <laughs> in it. The other virus film is um. Has anyone ever seen Outbreak with uh, with Morgan no, Freeman? I've heard of it though. I've heard of it. That's meant, that's with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, right? and, and Morgan Freeman and maybe someone else. Yeah, yeah. it's like a mid nineties film. That movie they said that it was uh, fairly inaccurate. Watching it now because apparently all the scientists in the film use a fingerprint scanner to get into the room, and they're like, <laughs> "What? You would, you would never, God never do damn that." Damn it. They're like, how does this virus keep spreading? It's like maybe because everyone's using their fingerprint to get, open the door. Uh, um, it's like that video of the woman who's like, yeah, we need to learn to stop touching our face, and then <laughs> like licks that. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, oh, that was God. funny. Um, also terrible, but yeah, a couple of other films. Um, Shaun of the Dead, obviously. Yeah. Cloverfield. I didn't know Twelve Monkeys. It was, was a virus about, spreading, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Virus spreading, yeah, but it's got a bit of a time travel element. Twenty eight days later. Twenty eight days, yeah. 28 weeks what world war z there's a netflix show called pandemic or something that apparently came out just a couple of months ago and now it's obviously like the top of everyone's, oh, yeah. um, everyone's how to prevent uh, an outbreak yeah i watched it as well in the same way that uh um netflix has this like subgenre of um kind of horrible <laughs> true crime things do you think pandemic is going to become like a subgenre. For, like, for they their... become the pandemic yeah, channel. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying, like they they make a program and then suddenly there's like a big news around it. Like they had the crown and then suddenly the Prince Andrew thing came out. I think yeah, you know. They, yeah. They, um... yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you? Has anyone ever seen Doomsday Preppers? Yeah, yeah. No. So it's what it's a show where basically people are like. I'm preparing for a nuclear winter. I'm preparing for a virus outbreak. And they basically they, they, they have like a bunker. There's various different, each episode is different, but. Oh my God, I have seen this. I have seen but this. But actually there's probably one which is like pretty accurate where it's like, I'm preparing for a virus because this X, Y, Z will happen. And it's like, oh, actually they were right. There's an article on um about um in Berlin where obviously it's on a more severe lockdown, but the youth are flouting it and still going to clubs. Yeah. Um, and there's really? like a secret knock to get in. And then there was a comment by the police saying, yeah, this isn't 1920s Chicago. <laughs> we um, we can <laughs> we can we can work our way around secret knocks. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, eh, we're you, stuck. Yeah. How do we get in? It? We got to do it now. On the topic of pandemics, I thought I'd ask everyone a question, which is, if you could self-isolate with a movie character. <laughs> Matt Damon. Who, who would it be? Oh, hey, Mark. Oh, that's a good. That's a good one. Just all of his characters yeah. from, from Team yeah, America. He, he gets yeah. saved all the time. Um, like any movies in, he just gets saved, doesn't he? I think it'd be a laugh, eh? And two, you know, you'll be fine in the end. Yeah. I think I would have to say, um, the genie from Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> 
two two reasons. First of all, any wish granted. I mean, well, who wouldn't want that? But but secondly, That's very, very um, space efficient. You know, because you can just rub him and he goes into his into his little uh, his little lamp. Is that an innuendo? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, you don't rub I him. That's pretty good. I should clarify, you don't rub him, you rub the lamp. But, um, yeah. You probably will if you isolate with Maybe. him for too long. Yeah, exactly. He's like, you've, you've run out of wishes, but you can rub me one more time. The Scottish genie. <laughs> you've run out yeah, of wishes. Yeah, you've run out of hand sanitizer. I don't, know, I don't know where that came from. I would have to say, keep it contemporary. I think I would isolate with the Invisible Man. How do you know he's still there? You already are. Well, exactly. One, you, he he won't like bother you because he's not really there. And two, if you need groceries, he can just like. You've seen go the film, though, right? <laughs> Good lad. You can get the Jaeger bombs in. Right. He tries to kill his ex girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's tricky, but at least you at least, <laughs> at least you wouldn't know. At least you wouldn't know when it's going to happen, right? You could just be sitting there, and then knife. suddenly, like a knife just goes <laughs> into you. And everyone's done that yeah. from time to time. Come on, it's, uh... I'd, I'd probably I'd probably choose Cobb from uh, Inception just because <laughs> oh. you could escape into a dream, <laughs> like That's true. Yeah, do, do whatever. I was going to choose Cobb, but I thought it was a little bit expected. Yeah, well, that's oh, why right. I said for, for we me. might choose the same person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the film this week is The Room by Tommy Tommy yeah. Wiseau. Uh, I've always heard about it as being the, the worst film ever made, but I'd never actually seen it. And in quick succession, I've watched actually with Louis, The Disaster Artist, which is the James Franco film about the making of it. And then obviously The Room recently, both within the space of two months of each other. It's a pretty interesting watch, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Anything for my princess. <laughs> I thought I'd just go through the synopsis, if there is one that could even say what it is. Um, so the synopsis of the film, according to Wiseau, is Johnny is a successful bank executive who quietly lives in a San Francisco townhouse with his fiancée, Lisa. One day, putting aside any scruple, he, she seduces Johnny's <laughs> best friend, Mark. From there, nothing will be the same wow. again. <laughs> that's, that's a good version of that. Well, it's accurate. It's a good version. What did everyone think watching this? Have you seen it before? Or yeah, have you I've seen it before? No, I hadn't. It's from t- 2003, so it's yeah, pretty yeah. it's pretty old. It looks like it's from 1970. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen it before. I I'll be honest, I, do, I do think it's pretty funny actually. I do quite enjoy it. I wouldn't say enjoy it. Mm. So one of the questions I have about this film is 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 in the disaster artist it kind of um it kind of suggests that literally at the premiere people started to find it funny and it kind of gained cult status like straight away do you think mm. do you think that was true do you think there was just like this period where everyone thought it was just a rubbish movie and then eventually people started to realize there's some comedy value in it i saw a, a thing with james franco where he did a, a talk about it and he said that when they first started screening it apparently people did people were laughing Already. and there was this kind of yeah there was this confusion from <laughs> from tommy i think of like what's going on but i think very he said what he did very quickly and cleverly i guess yeah. if you can give him credit credit for that is uh is he kind of capitalized on the fact that people received it as a comedy and almost apparently almost yeah. tried to pass it off as a comedy <laughs> oh yeah it worked and, got, yeah. yeah and everyone was just like no man you definitely didn't intend this as a comedy um but that's a good point because i think it, it it raises something that i want to go into detail later on um about how films are received versus what their intention is but yeah i think it was it was it was received in a very different way. I also think there was an there was an ominous billboard yep. that he paid for, right. which was the front the the him with the eyes um, and the, and his phone number and his phone number <laughs> and it was on on the fr- on the top of this freeway for in America for years. I think apparently reportedly he was paying like thousands of dollars a week to keep it up. <laughs> and it was this that he teased. It, it was there before the film came out, and it was there after the film came out, and it kind of it became like a cult phenomenon the billboard itself because right. it was just like what's the point people always saw it <laughs> yeah. i think james ranko was saying in this interview that he he he, he saw it. he didn't even know what it was apparently his friend his friend said to him yeah what it like i keep seeing that <laughs> thing is that like some kind of cult or some sort of like <laughs> no i think it was it was received very differently to how it was intended yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think it gained a cult following until years later i don't think it was just off the bat because <clears throat> i think it, it was in the what in cinemas for maybe two weeks out of his own pocket or a week Right. Yeah, apparently it only made what. Well, so yeah, we should talk about actually this because apparently yeah. it cost six million dollars of his own money yeah. to to make it. And no, no one knows where the money came from. I think no one knows where the money went, and I can only assume, having read into it, it went on reshoots because he basically fired the crew like three or four times. Oh, oh, okay. That kind of makes sense, but 
at the same time, you gotta wonder where is this money coming from? Um, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's it's six I'm million. Cu- I'm just curious. Pretty much in cash. Well, the thing is, there's a there's a big mystery about where he comes from, isn't it? I thought it was Poland. I thought it was New Orleans. I think there's a thing where he says he's from Eastern Europe, no. but or he's he's from Europe, but he's actually from New Orleans. So yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a strange guy to say the least. Very strange. Yeah. What did uh, what did we all think rewatching this? Um, <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> That basically sums up my my feelings. <laughs> did you watch relentless. it alone or did you watch it? Because I watched it alone. I watched it alone and, and I watched it on on, a, on the phone. <laughs> Go back to the Netflix chat. <laughs> you should have watched it on a watch. <laughs> How Scorsese intended the, the, the Irishman to be watched. Um, yeah, I, I, I watched it alone and there were definitely one or two bits that I burst out laughing about but i feel like i would have laughed even more yeah. had i watched it with someone yeah, else first time i watched it i watched it with my brother and we both found it hysterical so this film gets a massive cult following at least here in london at the prince charles cinema twice every month mm. i think it is yeah we we louis and i were gonna go watch it at some point as there was quite a funny thing in their their letter for it where they were like tommy tommy would very much appreciate if you bought some <laughs> merchandise or something the room money's <laughs> going low it's like no pictures without merchandise jesus <laughs> yeah jesus <laughs> This man just dines out. It's ridiculous. I mean, maybe he's a genius. Do you know what? I mean? Maybe this is his plan all along, and he's actually made a whole whole career out of making a crap film. The whole kind of like everyone are greeting someone oh, yeah. every time they enter a room. Yeah, <laughs> they like it's sort of it oh, sort hi. of it sort oh, of feels hi. like a kind of nineties porn film, but without the porn. <laughs> you say that, but <laughs> you get in ten minutes. <laughs> there are some lengthy. There are some really lengthy sex scenes and... in it, which just don't stop. <laughs> the dialogue. The dialogue. I mean, Bennett, you'll probably have a, a better idea. But if it, it feels like I me, mean, this is I'm assuming this is what it is like someone who doesn't know how to write a script wrote a script and then it wasn't edited at all, That's and then that was pretty made. Pretty much how it feels, yeah. Oh, hi, how are you? I'm good, yeah. thanks. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and anything they talk about, Greg, let's say Greg's character, it's always like, ah, oh, relationship sucks. That's all they talk about. That's it. No more development there. Because when he talks about his bank clients, he's like, oh, I'm not allowed to talk about it. How's your sex life? Like, the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) That bit is so funny. It's things that's so quotable as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like Greg on the roof is like, I knew this one girl, been with a hundred guys. (laughs) (laughs) the bit that really made me laugh was when him and the the bald dude who i couldn't work out if he was the actual therapist (laughs) or he was just a friend because when greg threatens him and like out of nowhere he's like oh you're having an affair (laughs) yeah and then he's like sorry (laughs) yeah yeah then he's like sorry man he's like it's okay man and then they just walk off It's called the room. It'd make more sense to call it the roof. Yeah, I did think that. That's where the fundamental things cap. That's the most like recognizable bit. To be honest, it's looking at the kind of the the capability of this film, it was pretty typo. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of this, apparently I did read one hilarious thing, which was it, it said here, an anonymous cast member told Entertainment Weekly that the script contained stuff that was just unsayable. I know it's hard to imagine there was stuff that was worse, but there was. <laughs> Jesus. There's a bit in the film where they all dress up in tuxedos and then they just go play ball. What? Yeah, because the disaster artist seems to make a thing out of the fact that Greg and Tommy in real life yeah, would yeah. throw this ball, yeah, ball yeah, around, yeah. right? Yeah, I was saying this. I, I think um, it's quite clever, the disaster artist, how the stuff that's happening within the disaster artist, as in like real yeah. life stuff, is really connected to what, what you actually end up seeing in the room. And like, yeah, the, the throw, throwing the ball around in the park. So, yeah, yeah. It. Like, it's not just random, but it's still, it's still fucking random, though. Yeah, it's not just a random. <laughs> Scene. The scenes when Tommy and Greg throw the ball around towards the end when it's just them. <laughs> I'm really So what's new with I you? Not much. Yeah. I swear there's a there's a VO thing where it just keeps saying, Not much, man. Yeah. <laughs> Not much. Is, <laughs> is, is it like seven times? That bit where he goes to the shop, um, and it's like you're my favourite customer. That's honestly like it's on fast forward. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's out of sync. Um like, cause it just goes so qui- unnaturally quickly. It's like you're yeah. watching a director's <laughs> commentary. Because <laughs> the ground yeah. is completely disconnected from what you're <laughs> seeing on the picture. One thing that did throw me when I first started watching it that I didn't realise was how much of the dialogue was sort of ADR'd and out of sync. Or at like least in what I watched. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was my Bluetooth same. headphones for a while. <laughs> I was like trying to kind of reconnect it and then I just went with it and realised it's just terribly dubbed in. <laughs> real real movie stars ADR their lines. Make real movie. Yeah. like how random 
never finished the grammar, saying like she has breast cancer, and then that goes nowhere. She's like, "You'll be fine." That's it. I know. Yeah. And does, doesn't her daughter just be yeah. like, "Yeah, you'll be okay." I have to meet a client. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, everyone shrugs off, shrugs off like a really bad thing by just being like, "Don't worry about it. It's fine." <laughs> the grandma is one of the best characters. Like, you need to think about your future. Yeah, like, you need to marry Johnny. <laughs> she was one of the only convincing actresses I felt yeah. in the whole. Like, yeah. Something that the disaster artist made me think, but also watching the beh- the real behind the scenes on YouTube. Um, yeah. 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 Just. It's just amazing to watch. You just you watch these things and you forget that like people actually have to turn up and make them. (laughs) Just watching them work and watching how many crew there are and how much he just doesn't really know what he's doing. And there's one bit in the um in the behind the scenes. I don't know if you saw it, but it really made me laugh. (laughs) The behind the scenes guy is filming um Danny, who's the kid, right, and uh, Lisa. They're having a scene and the guy who's filming behind the scenes is filming them do the scene and he zooms out from them and like pans to the left and Tommy's just in makeup getting makeup director. done and it's like, he's going to be the director. Because <laughs> the disaster artist seems to suggest that lots of other people actually help direct the film. Right. Yeah. And uh, there was a thing in real life about how the script su- supervisor claimed to have directed most of the film because basically Tommy forgot his lines and wasn't ever really properly directing anyone and there was a quote from them saying that claiming to direct <laughs> claiming to direct the room would have been like claiming to have been the Hindenburg's principal <laughs> aeronautics engineer <laughs> but the irony is now it's so popular that people have come out of the woodwork and been like well actually I yeah. uh, you know I actually had a pretty big hand in this <laughs> I wonder if he's actually made money do you think he's made more than six million out of it yeah I think so probably yeah long term now yeah it's been a while well, there you go then so I guess we can we can snigger all we like but yeah uh, he's made yeah, money. We don't know that for sure. We'll just speculate. You know, the obvious thing to say about this film is that it's bad. Like Ben Ash was saying, it's become a cult phenomenon. It's become phenomenon? Phenomenon. It's become its own thing, right? Kind of away from just being a bad film. It's kind of become the best, worst yeah, film. Some pride in that, I think. I think so, because we always talk about how there's so many movies that come out every year that just remakes or rehashes things that just kind of come out and get forgotten. Room would be like a great one to go and see in the cinema because you've heard about people throwing balls around and stuff. Yeah, in the cinema, so it would be like it would be a good like proper experience to to do it. I think people like dress up like him as well, don't they? And he's at the centre of it. You know, he's kind of created this Mm. bad masterpiece or whatever. Um, There's something to say for the fact that it's almost 17 years later, it's still playing in cinemas. Yeah, yeah. There's a real, I mean, there's a real kind of like story of just fame at all costs thing around, isn't there? Like, whether whether or not it was deliberate, I guess for Tommy. It sounds like he made the film because he just wanted to be a movie star. Yep. And even though he didn't become a movie star in the way he wanted to be, he'll like take what he can get. And <laughs> yeah. what he's got is star status. It's just a bit of a bit But of also a every one. year you get like every year you get um so a bunch of shit movies come out, right? And you know, this is the best of the worst pile, right? So to stand out yeah. from a slew of shit mm. films of over what, seventeen years? And to still be talked about like we are now, and to be shown mm. in cinemas like twice a month, with with sold out screenings, it's it's uh, something to you know to not to snicker at. The content of it and the themes of it are actually like really serious, like drama. Look, um, but it's just done. So <laughs> Didn't he mad. put he put on the billboard Tennessee Williams level drama? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tennessee Williams is boring as fuck though. So yeah, I can I can buy that. Right. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Benas. I think it's like, I think if you're going to do a shit film, like do I mean, it really well. <laughs> and that's on what Google it's listed as drama romance. So I don't think it was intended to be a comedy or whatever. It's just the way people perceive it now yeah. because it's so shit. Do you think they knew, do you think the cast knew how, because watching the behind the scenes when he's directing people, it's funny to see how serious everyone is. <laughs> like, do you think they knew how bad it was? Or do you I think that they it. just thought... Um, this guy's probably got a not. No, I, I yeah. doubt it. I guess when you're making a film, it's like it's, I don't know. I've 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 never obviously been part of a feature length film, but when you're shooting it in like patches and not in kind of in order and <clears throat> and it's like a long process and stuff, I guess quite a lot of the time, I imagine you've just got to have faith in the director's vision that it will kind of like take shape in the end, even if little bits of it seem really random. Like I don't know mm. any film. If you're looking kind of about, about like Interstellar. Uh, if you if you were just filming a scene on like a green screen and it's all a little bit like wild and frantic and stuff, you mm. wouldn't necessarily know that it's going to be a good film when it comes out. 
And you'd be right, it's a shit film. Log off, log off. Oh, I don't know. So maybe there was just this sense that maybe it'll come together at the end. Oh, yeah. yeah I yeah. thought in The Disaster Artist, the best, um, one of the best characters was Seth Rogen's character, <laughs> who was just a bit like, we're getting paid, so. That's just uh, yeah. Let's get this film. He also he kind of cleverly played the the part of the audience where he was kind of like, we could just film it outside. Outside is right there. He's like, no, we build wall. We make real movies. Like, it's just gonna cost more money and take more time. But I guess he sort of like he probably symbolizes what most people on that set felt, which was just like, if he's paying our wages, then fine. Like, let's give him a movie. In the end, crew still paid mm. to show up yeah. and do the job, so it it doesn't really. I mean, sure. Yeah. you kind of want to be part of a good film but even some of the blockbusters that come out these days aren't, aren't all that good what everyone what every filmmaker wants from their film is for it to gain some sort of cult status and sort of cultural kind of imp- like you know impact in some way and this this has got it in spades even though it's <laughs> for the wrong wrong reasons yeah. <laughs> um yeah. you know yeah it's, it's it's hard to think of another film from that you know from that far uh, that long ago that's still playing this film um what helps is the so much myth around it myth or whatever because there's there's a book obviously called disaster artist there's a film disaster disaster artist and then there's just general talk of this film uh just being like the worst film so it helps to kind of boost this and elevate it because so much in a way drama has happened around it um i think that really helped to keep this movie keep floating along I'm not sure when the book was released. The uh, I think it was written by Greg Sestero. So I think that generally just helps. I think what's interesting is um, what what uh, James Franco was saying about why you could even make a film about it, because obviously there has to be some sort of story behind why Tommy made this film. And uh, he was saying that it was, you know, like like Lou was saying, it's just someone that badly wanted to become a movie star and wanted to make a movie and that kind of thing of realizing your dream he he felt was was enough of a it was something he could relate to you know even though it's obviously done in a completely different way here um that story and you do kind of see that in the disaster artist a little bit i feel it's funny it's funny how much we're naturally talking about the disaster artist it feels like you can't yeah talk about the room now without mentioning it because it's I, it's I guess. It, according to tommy wiseau it, it captured the whole make of the film 99 percent. Yeah. he said and i guess the reason why it's so um it's so interesting is that the the making of the film itself is actually a bit of a mystery so when there's a film that that unveils it a little bit then you focus a lot on that it's like the only thing you have to go on understand how this film got made yeah how many other movies can you think of like that had a movie based on the behind the scenes of a movie you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it's true yeah they were saying do you remember when the disaster artist came out and they were saying that they hope it won yeah. best picture at the oh, oscars that is so so but no i think it's, it's fair to say that the reason it's still so entertaining is in a way you're kind of watching someone fail that's kind of where the comedy i feel for it is like you go you know it's going to be bad you know tommy's going to be there you know the whole thing is crap it's a bit like yeah. watching the titanic yeah you know like you know what's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. But like the real Titanic yeah, or the yeah. movie Titanic. Or both. I don't know. <laughs> Just watching the real Titanic. <laughs> sink. <laughs> hey, it's like that. I mean, is it? I don't okay. know. Could yeah. be. Which I do all the time, just just to cheer myself up on a Sunday. I like to think that in some way the room is is helping cinema survive. You have to you have to go and watch it in a crowd, like in a cinema. You know, yeah. Having watched it alone, I'm like, I much would have rather watched it with someone else. I think. I think it would have been much more of an an event movie. Obviously, not on Nolan scale, but still an event film. Were there any? Did anyone have any favorite bits? I think the drug dealer like threatening Denny was a was a high point. That in the behind the scenes is so funny. He's like, where is my money? And then they just like drag him to the police station. Just that's what you do. You just drag people to the police. Station. Yeah. Let's take him to the police. I love that Zac Efron plays that role. In, yeah. In the disaster. They must have had such a good time doing the disaster artist. Yeah, the, um, I was just trying to find his name. One of my favorite in the I know we're talking about the room, not the disaster artist, but one of my favorite bits of casting in the disaster artist is um, <laughs> you know, in the the Hunger Games, oh, the, yeah, um, yeah, the main yeah. guy, yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, he's he plays Denny or Donny or in the, in um in the disaster artist. No way, um, he actually had a career. Really? Yeah, no, no, as in no, um, in the yeah, the guy, the guy who acts, the guy 
Oh, John, he's, uh, he's quite a famous actor, but I just think he, he's just so funny in it, playing him. Like Josh Hutcherson Huck- is his yeah. Denny, yeah. <laughs> Weird, the sort of adopted son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny's like a father to him. Yeah, I was, I, I was genuinely, I was mind boggled by how, by how, um, like, how did the cinematographer shoot this? Like, how do you possibly even, where do you begin with, <laughs> with like, lighting and shooting it? Because it was all, it was so all over the place. I guess by, um, there must have come a time where they just accepted they weren't going to make a good film <laughs> and they just kind of pointed the camera and had their lunch. There is, there is one thing that you, that you, um, that you mentioned before the pub, which I think is worth, worth talking about, which is like a general point about who has control. So although Tommy wanted to make one kind of film and then an audience received another, um, so he failed dismally in his in his in his task of uh, trying to kind of get his vision across. But he succeeded immensely in his accidentally in in like creating a film that people watched for years and years and years on end. So I guess <clears throat> there is a there is a question there about like yeah. every time. I suppose it kind of is a bit like with our it was all a dream segments it's like to what extent when audiences read something into a film is that necessarily what a director actually intended like it could be yeah. that so many of the great films in history the directors are like fuck i never even thought about it that way <laughs> and and it's just like audiences have seized onto something um it's a good experience in that it's a good experiment sorry of that isn't it because it's like it's the almost the most extreme version of it it's like it's literally the 180 of what he intended it to be yeah yeah i think i mean like going back to sort of yeah. The the OG. I think a lot of um a lot of people say that Shakespeare, a lot of Shakespeare is a bit like that in that kind of he um he wrote for the masses and he didn't sort of necessarily think what he was doing was gonna be like high culture. When he wrote Romeo and Juliet, he thought it was just gonna be a bit of a romp. Basically yeah. like a, a like a panto, a contemporary panto. And then obviously it's been seized on over like centuries by kind of high society. And it's now seen as like the, the kind of the bastion of the English language. And that's not to shit on it because it's obviously really, really good. But there's a kind of like, there's not just what the original creator wanted to make. There's also how it's then been received since he created it. An interesting example of that is um Every Breath You Take, which is a song by the police. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I'll be watching no, no, it's, no, it's, it's known as like a fake... Yeah, yeah, no, so people, people, people play it at weddings and stuff, and it's known as like a really like kind of yeah. strong love song. But it's actually yeah. about a stalker. <laughs> Um, and like Sting's been like absolutely clear about it. It's it's like it's not romantic. It's about a stalker. Isn't that like Pina Colada song is like that as well? well. Pina Colada. Just listen to the words. They're, they're literally talking about having an affair. And um, Lou Reed's yeah. Perfect Day is all about heroin. But again, everyone's always like, oh, it's so romantic. <laughs> I think um, I think that's an interesting point though. In that, if you think about some of your, you know, the most iconic kind of like big cinematic generally agreed to be amazing movies mm-hmm. it feels like there's a sweet spot where you kind of have a large intention of what the director wanted and then there's a little bit of an interpretation gap for you to fill in yourself that makes it more personal to you yeah, yeah. i think it's because you kind of with most of these things which where, where it comes to songs or musical or any kind of art you try to apply yourself to it so that's why where your personal inspiration comes from. So that's why you have favorite songs because, you know, you apply yourself to it because you had have a fond memory of it or basically you piece things mm. together around it to fit your life. And so mm. the iteration, it comes down personally to you mainly because, I don't know, it could be down to different variables, but yeah, that's why you only take like a bit of what the director intends and then you're like, oh, but that's why you have those video essays of like movies and shit. Yeah. I also think there's a kind of like, when you watch a film, um, it's impossible to just watch it as like you and the director, like you and the film itself. It's like when you're watching it, you've already kind of got a bit of a preconception about about what kind of film it is and how you're going to respond to it because of the public's kind of response to it so far and also by... I guess the the reputation of the director and the actors in it and all that kind of stuff. So as much it's as true. I mean, I always think it must be so hard being a film critic if you're going to be like the first person to to review a film because genuinely, like the difference between like a really good film and a really shit film is actually I think sometimes quite quite small. Like you know, it's just the tiny little things, and yeah. that's why sometimes you get reviews that are like really scathing and really really good like joker was one of them actually like joker had a slew of like one and two star reviews and i guess because there's a sense of like i don't know like it's kind of how is how how do people how are people going to react to this kind of like you know character portrait of that film Um, yeah but also um these days 
more so than than before i think it's how the popular public's perception it will align with your opinion yeah so if you're too scathing or too pc or whatever um mm. then you, you get a certain backlash and okay great if you're a person with a reputation for it so you don't give a shit about it but if you're a person working for i don't know the guardian or some i don't know shitty whatever review magazine um <laughs> you you want to you want to kind of um you want your opinion to kind of align with the public perception so that people buy your shit and you don't alienate them so there's there's a lot of external pressure i suppose as well that comes with that i think there's a lot that when in regards to the room as well there was there was no expectation it was going to be anything you know yeah. was like once once you're an established filmmaker you yeah. and you've got a following you know there's a although you don't want there to be there's probably a slight expectation that there's going to be it's going to be of a certain quality mm. um but then I guess if you're if, if you're reviewing the Joker, then you're you're you know you're reviewing this kind of supposedly very serious film about mental health from Todd Phillips, and there is probably you know there there is a preconception there as well. I mean, no one should ever review a film through who's in it. You know, it's more what they do in it that shouldn't, what a film is. shouldn't. But I think shouldn't. Does. But but yeah. no, exactly. Yeah, and I wonder if in a weird way the reverse effect of that has <laughs> happened <laughs> with the room in that like because it's Tommy Wiseau, he is the room. Yeah. in a lot of ways. I think it's all about expectations, isn't it? Like I think it's like if you if you set yourself up a, if you set a film up in a particular way, then you've got to live up to that. But if you set it up as like a shit film, then like people are going to judge it as how good it is as a shit film. So like so so for example, Tommy Wiseau's The Room. I think had this massive bomb because it was set yeah. up as this kind of like serious drama, but his <laughs> film, whatever it was called, Big Shark, <laughs> um, was obviously going to be set up as just like a massive piss take because it's like Tommy yeah. Wiseau from The Room is doing another well, film. Let's all go and laugh at the cinema, and that's actually probably going to be judged as a success. Do you know what I mean? Because it's trying to it's yeah, doing yeah. what it tried to do. That's a good point, and that The Room is so undefinable. Yeah. Like it's not a piss take of a thing. It's just it's like its own. <laughs> It's weird. weird genre. Yeah. I was gonna say the uh the I forgot to mention earlier the uh two things. The Tommy the Wise Owl Films logo that came up at the start was just like so over the top. Yeah. <laughs> and I swear it's been stolen from another film company. Probably. And Probably the um Wise like Sparrow saying how it should be called the roof. The amount of times that people went up there and just said, oh, I'm just having I'm just thinking up here, man. And then other people come up and be like, it's a good place to think, isn't it? <laughs> Just um, just following off from Louis's point, the um, the uh, yeah, you know, the room was was meant to be serious, but it's now got a cult status as a bad film. But now people mm. actually proactively make bad films. So like, I don't know, like Mega Shark versus Great Octopus film. or whatever it's called. But when did that that kind of yeah? But you know, so when people when did it start that people would actually proactively make a quote unquote bad film. So you know you when you have like those sci-fi channels and stuff where film of the week exists and that kind of thing. So those were always intended to be of that style. So no one considers uh Mega the Shark or whatever it's called to be a bad film because it's just a bad film for us. Whereas it's a spoof it's a, film, isn't it? Yeah, it's a highly entertaining film but for I guess a sci-fi channel. Sharknado, right. I remember starting that kind of yeah. trend, or at least yeah. was at the forefront of it. But I don't know if um, I don't know if I agree that it's like I, I think I'd agree with you, Benas, in that I don't think yeah. it's like yeah, trying yeah. to be a bad film. I think it's trying to be like a spoof of, of a genre. So like, if you look at Airplane, you know, from the eighties, yeah, Airplane yeah. one and two, like that's sort like, of a stuff. shit film in that it's like a hammed up spoof of the kind of airplane disaster genre. Um, but it's a great film. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just it's, it's hammed up to make it. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of movies yeah. from the seventies and eighties that point. were actually quite serious, mm. but they actually watching them now, it's like laughable because of how they were made and what the subject matter is. So perhaps some of that has has bled into it. Yeah. But I think it's true what Louis said. The li- the line between what's good and bad is very fine, especially when you're working in those genres. Sharknado is is you know probably a bad film, but if you watch it with your friends on a Friday night, you probably enjoy yourself more than a lot Oscar, of Oscar you know, contenders or whatever other movies. Yeah, I've been in. I mean, I, so like to to put it on a sort of smaller scale, I've been in. Um, I've been. I've acted in plays before where. I have just like some have been so where I've just played the dead totally uh, well where I've like (laughs) totally trusted the director and just been like okay because obviously like sometimes to make something new and interesting you do have to try something really weird and what sounds like it could be really shit and my experience of that is like sometimes it's actually really pays off and it's like fuck no one's done this before and actually this is a really interesting thing 
but then sometimes it genuinely just turns out just how shit it sounds <laughs> <laughs> and like there's no way of knowing until it's way too late to stop it do you know what i mean like yeah I mean, like so the, the like a really good one was like we did a production of hamlet but like a musical and it was called hamlet house of horrors and it was like an hour-long version and it ended up being really really good but then we did one that was like a faustus thing set after a tornado had like ravaged this village and it was the worst thing i think i'd ever been in or, or probably seen um really and i think yeah you probably just do sometimes if you're a director have to take this leap of faith i think there's an interesting thing in there though of if someone approached you and said we've got a film called sharknado yeah and we want you to be in it would you approach it would, would actors approach it in a way where they're like well this is obviously a spoof or would they approach it with i want to try and make this as real as possible <laughs> Do you remember that film, Deep? is it Deep Blue? What's the one with the shark film with Deep Samuel Jackson? Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea. That's meant to be like a semi-serious, semi-ridiculous. I mean, he gets like bitten. That shark comes out and bites him and pulls yeah. him back. Yeah, yeah but that was, that, at the time, that was the shocking part because he was a massive star, right? And then he gets killed off in like the first five minutes. Mm, so yeah. that was massively shocking there. Also, <laughs> it's a film that has LL Cool J as the chef who survives the film. <laughs> So. It's like if you if you describe the Terminator to someone and they had no idea what the Terminator was about. Yeah, you you it could sound like it's a, well, that's what they thought a, was a B movie of some sort. But actually, with the right director, yeah, I think true. a classic one for me is um is Hitchcock the Birds. Like like if Body someone attack. comes along and is like, so I've got this great idea for a horror film, and basically it's like birds, right? Birds, <laughs> they're they're trying to kill it, like birds. Like if that was done by if that was done wrong, it would just be literally the worst film ever made. Look look at the Fast and Furious films, right? They take themselves seriously. That's a good example. um, But everyone knows them not to be, right? So no no one comes into the cinema and be like, oh, you know what? Toretto's going to pull this one out of the bag. (laughs) Everyone's going in there for the Corona advertisement and the family bit. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I went to go see Fast Five at the cinema, which to me is the only is the fast other than the first one, which is genuine. I think is genuinely a good movie. The fifth one is like the the yeah, apex yeah. of taking itself seriously and ridiculous enough that it's entertaining. I think the ones after possibly have gone a bit more into the silly side. But I remember Fast Five. It was it was one of the best cinema experiences <laughs> I've had in a long time. It was so much yeah, fun. Whereas the last one was had like submarine fights with cars and shit. I was like, oh, okay, now you're taking it too far here. It's funny where people draw the line, but you know. Yeah, I I really liked um, Too Fast Too Furious. That's probably my favorite one. That's classic. Yeah, classic. There was a bit where Lisa answered the door and someone, I can't remember who it was, they were like, are you busy? And she's like, I'm actually really busy. Do you fancy oh. a drink? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, Denny. Yeah. Denny. What? <laughs> Do you want Denny? How can you say yeah. that? How can you say that line as a director, I as, a, as an actor, and not think that that sounds odd? But it was the same when she was talking to her mum and she's like, um, so she, she's like, oh, I have breast cancer. Like, no, you'll be fine. She's like, well, I'm busy. I have to go. I just got off the phone with a client. Now I have to go meet that client. Wait, where what? is this going yeah, yeah. what's the point of the that? bit when tom when tommy had to assemble the phone recorder and that went on <laughs> oh, yeah. a minute where he was just assembling the phone i was like it's going anywhere that never went anywhere did it i don't I swear at the end he has the, the tape doesn't he the phone call but he hears yeah, it anyway yeah, like... through the through the <laughs> through the door <laughs> so he like listens to the phone conversation through the door so he hears it and then she's and then she's like i didn't do it and he's like well i've got a recording but i have it on recording but you just heard it the, uh, him and Greg fighting at the end yeah. and then suddenly it's like now we're cool man we're cool and then everyone's just carries on dancing yeah. and then in the next scene they start fighting yeah. <laughs> um, and that guy who um who comes comes in is like you can't do this to Johnny like near the end oh yeah and she's who like, I don't that? love Johnny and then Johnny comes oh, yeah. in and she's like I love him and he like glares at her yeah but that guy came out of like, nowhere I love you like, Johnny it was like last 10 minutes of the film it's like who are you now <laughs> it's like did I miss something who is this guy I think the whole film I was just like what is going on at any point <laughs> just Denny trying to get in a threesome with Sister uh, not Sister Wise and Lisa I think his death scene was so funny how he was just like in a dress <laughs> There is there was one bit of actually I don't know whether this was like meant to be deliberate um symbolism with um at the beginning when Johnny and um his girlfriend go upstairs and Donnie's down downstairs he takes a massive bite out of an apple and then goes upstairs so I was wondering whether that was meant to be like forbidden fruit wow. like he actually tried to put some symbolism in there I feel you're looking at way too deep here I feel like that genuinely <laughs> could have been the intention because it was so weird how he picked up that apple and just took a massive bite <laughs> he's doing the whole thing about the spoons in the film how there's loads of pictures of spoons in his flat 
in um, oh. I don't know if you saw this. No, I never got in, that. In the house, if you ever watch it again, oh, behind gosh. Tommy, there's just pictures of spoons everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why people throw spoons at the screen in the screenings, because it's just become like this <laughs> weird thing. And there's no explanation why there's pictures of spoons everywhere. And also, one thing I one other thing I found really weird was what you know she pours him a drink like quite near the beginning. Yeah. Oh, this is good. And he's like, yeah. I don't drink. And she brings out she brings out like what <laughs> looks like two whiskeys, and then adds vodka to each of them. <laughs> and I'm like, what whiskey? What are you drinking? <laughs> no wonder. No wonder you get really drunk. It's really so mad. It's like, no, no wonder you gave up alcohol if you're drinking this mix all the <laughs> yeah, time. Be horrible. <laughs> I think we should move on to our. Our, it was all a dream segment where we all give our wild interpretation of a film yeah. as Dylan once put the movies that say that it was all a dream at the end really pissed me off um, I can go first go on, yeah then. yeah okay cool um, so my kind of theory goes with the fact that it, there are aliens <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm just going to read this bit that I wrote um, and it's basically um, most of the characters are just a bunch of aliens trying to figure out how humans work and like how human relationships work that's why everyone has a hard time so Greg Sistero's Greg character, he's the good looking of the bunch, kind of like the archetype of how a human should look like um, and that's why he's kind of like normal in a way um, but it, but he's constantly confused about the state of relationships and that's why he always questions them um, he's kind of constantly tricked by the by the only human in the whole thing which is Lisa's character so that's why she has kind of like this wild nature of like just being like I like Tommy, uh, Johnny or then I like Sistero's character then Denny's character <laughs> Um, then Tommy's character is the main alien, of course, because uh, it's <laughs> the main alien. <laughs> it's, it's written by him, produced by him, directed by him. Um, yeah, so he's the main alien, and but yeah, he's also trying to figure out how human life kind of works, and that's why he kind of borrows lines from other movies, especially like the <laughs> "You're tearing me apart, Lisa." <laughs> that's obviously <laughs> from um, James Dean movie. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, but he's also getting kind of tricked by lisa yeah so in the end he kind of realizes that he can't understand how humans humans work and he f fucks off back to his patient by killing killing his human form so he fucks off ah. um so and then the rest of the character are kind of like uh, alien visitors trying to get a glimpse of human life so like dennis's character um he starts to become confused as he kind of dips in and out of the film um because as he's chasing this hum human life form which is lisa um so that's my kind of theory <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like that works. I, I feel like work. is it is it sort of like aliens who've like been told what a film is but never actually seen <laughs> yeah. one? <laughs> the thing that really sold it to me was the um was the kind of trying to figure out how people how people interact. <laughs> the constant greeting, the constant greeting of people is like really supports that theory. Yeah. It's like everyone says hi. It's weird how much this theory holds up. <laughs> That, that I, I buy it completely i completely buy it um mine is less uh trying to go too deep into it but basically i feel like having seen when this film came out um i feel like tommy weisel well i feel like memento is being mentioned a lot this podcast but tommy weisel watched memento and thought this has gone down really well i need to try and like remake this movie <laughs> And basically, it's a. My theory is the film's a bad remake of Memento because everyone, based like no storylines go anywhere. Everyone keeps forgetting <laughs> where. Everyone keeps forgetting who the last interaction was with. They keep forgetting. That's why they keep greeting everyone. Oh, hey, Mark. Because, yeah, that's why everyone keeps greeting because everyone's lost their memory. Should we watch the um, movie with us? apparently lost, forgot his lines on set because he was going meta as Leonard <laughs> and actually forgot <laughs> forgot his lines anyway. Um, and so, yeah, the the theory that the film is a bad remake of Memento, I feel, holds up well because <laughs> there's just this constant forgetting. You can never leave the room. Yeah, and the, and and like you know, Leonard spends a he spends half the film in his hotel room. So I feel like there's Wise I must have watched that and thought this is a good movie. Now I need to, and that's why the 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 billboard is so the still from the billboard has just got fuck all to do with what the <laughs> it's so <laughs> ominous though, like the whole picture okay mine is um as you know i like to uh i like to come up with theories where it was all a dream really? is about um 
how how certain people are pulling the strings of the whole movie without you realizing uh and <laughs> i think there's pretty good evidence i can't wait for this <laughs> i think there's pretty good evidence that um the whole plot is orchestrated secretly by um a, an alliance of denny and the grandma um <laughs> so so, yeah. so denny is uh is talked about from the beginning as this uh this guy who Let, wait let's remind people who denny is so denny's the kid who who like watches them have sex in the first scene and and you, you sort of learn that basically denny is like basically been adopted by johnny who doesn't have kids but has basically like adopted denny he's like paying for his tuition and and he's like a father figure to him my theory would be that denny uh knows that he's in johnny's will uh so he would inherit all of his money if johnny if johnny were to die and uh the grandma obviously is has been diagnosed with breast cancer and so she's got some pretty big bills that she's gonna need to pay so i think what happens is off screen they go into cahoots and they say right we need to get Johnny killed so that we so that Denny inherits all of his money, uh, and then they can split it between them and go happily into the sunset. I also think that Denny's motivation is 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 strengthened by the fact that he's obviously in love with Lisa. So I think what he wants to do is kill Johnny, take his money, take his woman, uh, and ride off into the sunset. So I think there's there's further proof for this theory in that the Zac Efron character <laughs> in the sequel. Uh, in the sequel, the Zac Efron character, you never actually learn the truth of why he why he owes that guy money because it doesn't really make sense that he bought drugs, really, because I don't think he, he ever really makes sense that he would be taking drugs. He says that he did because he wants to cover his tracks, but I think he actually hired that character to kill Johnny, uh, but never actually paid him. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is actually a hitman who said, I'll do it if you pay me, but didn't get paid. So he comes to try and like scared to get the money out. And in the end, I think what they basically decide is that rather than Denny trying to get him killed, he he makes a deal with the grandma where the grandma has to just whisper uh, uh, persuasions into Lisa's ear so that eventually Lisa decides to blow it all up by having an affair with Mark um, and Johnny gets killed that way. So they, they, they achieve their aim, but in quite a roundabout way. That's my, that's my that's theory. That's a pretty Scorsese theory right there, bro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that strangely made sense of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Although, one thing I would say is, doesn't the grandma try to get? Doesn't she try to get Lisa to stay with John? Yeah, smoke yeah, and mirrors, man. Smoke, smoke, <laughs> smoke and mirrors. It's reverse psychology. Yeah. <laughs> she knows how to That's play. Her she knows how to play it. <laughs> She knows. She knows by it. by pushing Tommy on her that she Johnny on her that yeah, she's yeah. going to be like no no. She knows that he is. She knows that her daughter won't be motivated by you know a stable life. So she's like oh but he's a really stable guy and he'll buy you a nice car and all that I'll stuff, which is house. the last thing she wants to hear. It make it, it really makes sense of Denny's character, which is a total mystery to me watching them. <laughs> completely <laughs> random. Completely. How random. in this film, obviously, it's written by Tommy Wiseau, right? Um, and how his character is like he's kind of seen as like the best looking the most successful <laughs> he's like it's all it is is just compliments to himself throughout yeah, the whole film yeah. like true. it's written by himself so you're my favourite customer <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, meant, no, he's meant to be the guy that everyone likes everyone exactly. loves Johnny yeah, yeah, like a, this is a weird film to kind of write about yourself there um, Sparrow do you, have you uh... yes yeah, a, sli- a, a slight one basically um, so it's a movie but actually the reason it feels so disjointed um, as a film is actually it was meant to be um, a kind of high school like, education video so like for sex education and for like social education <laughs> um, which is so it, it was meant to be one of those kind of teen high school things um, which is why it was filmed in the way it was but then I, so when it became a movie it's like if you took a sex, edu- sex education high school video and then tried to make it into a film, it would, it would look kind of crummy yeah. and shit. I, I guess it's like a don't drink message as well, right? Because yeah. whiskey, has, whiskey, everything's fine and then he has a sip of like whiskey vodka and the whole thing goes to shit <laughs> for the rest of the Exactly, world. yeah. It's just like life lessons. Yeah. Don't drink it. It does feel like an instructional video, especially at the start with the shots of San Fran like panning across. Yeah. <laughs> like welcome to banking with Johnny. Thank you. Yeah. How to get a promotion with Johnny? Jordan Belfort. <laughs> sell me this. Sell me this pen. <laughs> sell me this pen. It's it's a, it's a good pen. You can write down thoughts from your life. <laughs> yeah. That's low key the this funniest bit in that film. I, I can personally vouch for this pen. <laughs> like, it's, so, it's random that that scene is in New Zealand. I know. It's weird. Um, it is really weird. 
Um, okay, there were some pretty good theories. I quite enjoyed. I enjoyed every <laughs> single one of those. We do have a short of the week this week, which I should say when I went to the People's Film Festival. Shout out Kino. I saw um, eight different short films, um, and uh, they were all pretty good. And I felt I felt this one would be appropriate for us to do on the pod, um, seeing as it's also the same actress from a previous short we've done. Oh, um, Mum of the Year, that Louis, I think it was called. Um, so it's called Don't Sell the Tiger, written by Joanne Oates and Mark Winter and directed by Ben Wilson. Sorry, I forgot that wrong. And yeah, I feel like the, I saw a Q&A with the director after it was performed, after it was um, shown, sorry. And uh, he said that this was a real story in his family. What did we all think of this? Remind me, the, the first thing that came to mind was Parasite. Um <laughs> <laughs> okay interesting wow. just, wait, so I'm guessing everyone's seen Parasite here yeah. in that film like the whole film starts by them being given this rock right mm. and how they're like changes yep. and stuff and then obviously when that rock is kind of gets not lost in the flood but something happens to it I can't remember um, shit, it all goes to shit so it's kind of a similar thing here already, where the statue whatever is introduced here the tiger basically the tiger is introduced mm. and um, yeah how they kind of try to uh, self gain from it. I don't know. Everything kind of goes to shit. I don't know. I, Interesting. I thought it was um, cool. I, I don't know. Not, <laughs> not getting strong vibes from you on this one. I didn't get strong vibes from the film. That's my point. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I I am. Um, I don't know. I mean, I saw it in an audience where everyone everyone was laughing quite a lot. It was quite a good crowd to watch it with. So I felt like I had quite a and I enjoy I enjoyed it. I had a good experience mm. watching it. I I found it very funny. I thought the acting was very good. I, I liked how it it sort of felt like it was just put together. You know, it didn't feel like it was planned too much. Yeah. Which I I always really respect people that just you know do that. And I felt like it it made quite good use of you know the scenes in the war yeah. uh, and the and the flashbacks were just kind of like dressed in a way where you could have filmed them in a living room yeah. somewhere. I swear yeah. the 80s one was yeah. basically like a Scorsese scene. Put <laughs> 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 that like swing 70s music on and then like yeah. the polish. Yeah. So generally it was, um yeah, it was quite, I thought it was good. It's quite enjoyable. I wouldn't like re-watch it, but like, it, you know, it was, it was worth a watch, I'd say, as a kind of Four overall opinion of it. 10 minutes of a short film is too much. <laughs> yeah, it was a long um, short. It, it was, it was pushing it. was it. about... Well, that's, well, it, it was all right. That's, I mean, that's, it was a movie length for me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't know if we've, I can't remember if we've mentioned this on the pod, but I think Louie and I came up with a, a new way of measuring films calling out of 10 sparrows. <laughs> 10 sparrows being like once upon a time in America length and one sparrow being... <laughs> like a two minute short right. and this was probably like this was three sparrows, <laughs> three least, sparrows for, which for a short is quite a lot is that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i liked it actually i thought it was just a quite like well like packed in film so i know 10 minutes is fucking long but uh no <laughs> 10 minutes obviously a short amount of time but it sort of had a it had a it had a big story but built around a kind of a, a very sort of compact thing do you know what i mean i like mm. I, I i like the kind of the device of just having this like tiny little tiger and just building a whole story around it but then actually having quite an epic timeline of around that story so yeah. like you go from 1945 to the present day all around this one little thing um i also thought they had quite good chemistry the actors together like i think um as sisters they were quite believable and sort of riffed off each other for the comedy i think that's well. what i like the most is the fact that it was ambitious like to have yeah. that, kind of, that time length to cover yeah. it and for a short film that is quite ambitious to do so yeah respect yeah that, yeah sure i also just think that actor is funny like the, the you know the one who's like um oh i'm nearly done on bingo go go and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the girl from the, yeah. the she, she's in the, the mum of the year thing and i think she's just got quite a good um repartee obviously really budget shot like like the japanese soldier dying you can like see the creases like the fold creases in the sheet so it's obviously just been like unraveled and it's like you you totally forgive it because that's part of the charm fact that it's uh, a low budget no budget essentially Mm. short film and and the amount of shit they get to do with i think that's it that is important to mention in that it's virtually no budget um and it feels like they've pulled quite a large story and canvas out of it which is which is always and amazing. is it kind of like so those uh so what the forty five the seven the eighties or seventies like the, those few bits of flashbacks they 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 weren't just like you know something lazy like they they were quite creative with it and yet yeah and yet low budget with it mm. so yeah. the forty five you know they could have been like in the trenches or some shit but you know they 
it did it like prisoners of <laughs> war trench. Uh, yeah. um, so that was interesting uh for yeah that yeah i think like uh, for no budget it did it did solve the problems that would arise with this kind of short film really efficiently yeah. and smart it did um it made me think of that um that episode of rick and morty when the devil opens a shop and he sells all this stuff for free uh, yeah. and it's like all these amazing things and everyone's like oh this is like free i can get this and he's like yeah yeah take what you want and then like, under his breath he's like but you won't have many years left of your life it's like, every- yeah nice all right guys it's been pretty good this is i can't believe this is work i know i know it'll yeah. be deleted as soon as you try and download yeah. it um, i thought the bin icon was safe so are we ne- <laughs> are we never meeting to uh, meeting again for another podcast is this the way we can do this now <laughs> what if this carries on, we might have to carry this on for the next six months. Never mind podcasts. I'm never meeting anyone again for any reason. It's pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> sweet. <dude>. Yeah. <laughs> Self-isolation. Cool. Everyone stay safe. Stay Enjoy staying. Scotland, Louis. Yeah. Get, get, out, get some fresh air for all of us. Yeah. I'll do. I'm breathing for all of us. <laughs> Thanks. I can feel it already. Thanks, man. Good. Thanks, man. Um, all right. Bye from me. Bye from Ben. See ya. Bye from Larry. See ya. Bye from Louis. Ta-da. Stay safe. See you later. Bye.